The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Our focus today will be uh, Psalms 42 and 43. And we are going to be looking at the causes of spiritual depression. Hopefully that will make more sense as the morning unfolds and as we share this text together. So I invite you to stand as Joseph reads the word of God. Psalm 42. To the choir master and mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing waters... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep cause to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemies? As as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, as we, as we seek to approach you this morning, many of us in this room have cast down souls. And we ask the question, why? Why are you in turmoil within me? Father, I pray that this morning we see the clarity of your word that we are called to hope in you alone. Father, I pray that you would meet many of us here who are asking, why have you forgotten me, God? Why have you rejected me? And I pray that you would make clear from your word your love for us and that we can rest in you. So, God, we love you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Do do I have a hard time or even a fear of expressing to God how I feel and what I really think? Really, those of you who have been around the church for a long time, you may have figured this out. There appears to be lack of permission to do this. It's one of my early questions 
as being a natural question asker. I remember saying, is it not okay to ask questions around here? There's, there's this idea among Christians that if we ask hard questions, we're stating unbelief. Here's what I want to help you see. Your questions are a struggle with unbelief. So you ought to articulate them. That's what's happening here in Psalm 42 and 43. It's a lament. A lament is an honest, heartfelt cry to God as we wrestle with the paradox of the presence of pain in our life and the promises of God's goodness. Here's what I want you to see, that lament, what, what the psalmist is doing here with this heartfelt, honest cry, is one of the means that God uses to move us out of what we're going to call today spiritual depression. I'm going to spend the next two weeks discovering how the Lord intends for this to happen. We're going to focus on what spiritual depression is and what its causes are today. Next week, we will take up its cure. So here's the main idea of today's sermon. Spiritual depression results from forgetting the Lord, focusing on circumstances, and listening to others and ourselves. Now, before I get into depth into this, I need to separate myself from clinical depression. In this room right now, and I say this with great compassion to you, there are more than one individual in this room who suffers from clinical depression. So let me define what I mean by that. Clinical depression is an ongoing, progressive state Increasing state of major depression with multiple symptoms requiring medical treatment. There are some people, so some of us have inherited high cholesterol and diabetes. There are some people that have inherited a chemical propensity in their brain to depression. It's real. And it needs to be treated and it needs to be handled. When you read the definition of clinical depression, most definitions will begin with what clinical depression is not. And it says something like this. Clinical depression is not the result of a bad event in your life. All of us have been depressed at some point. And most of us, it's because of something that happened to us or happened around us that led us to that moment. We'll have more to say. One more thing. I'm not just talking to introverts. Those of you who are naturally drawn toward introspection and you ask yourself lots of questions and you're hard on yourself regularly. I'm also talking to extroverts. Because you extroverts suffer from spiritual depression too. Here's how you act it out. You don't turn inward and ask questions. You have to be with people. Because here's what you're scared of. I might be talking to myself here. Here's what you're scared of. You're scared to death to get by yourself. So what is spiritual depression? Spiritual depression is the result of unbelief 
evidenced by either dejection, discontentment, bondage, and or the lack of joy. Now, there is much I can say here. I'm going to move fairly quickly to try to get to some of these matters. I'm certainly free to answer your questions afterward if I leave you with more questions than than we arrived at at the beginning. The first evidence of spiritual depression. So this is what it looks like. Now, let me say this. It does not mean everybody sees this. You may be the only one. You may be the only person aware that this is happening. The first evidence of spiritual depression is dejection. This entire Psalm and Psalm 43 centers around this question. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? You notice it's in verse 5, verse 11, and if you go to chapter 43, it's verse 5. Why are you cast down or downcast, O my soul? If I say that, I memorize this in the New American Standard. So I'm going to flip it as I'm preaching. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Literally, why are you sinking down? Why are you in despair? Why are you dejected? Talking to himself, my soul. Why are you in turmoil? Why are you troubled? Why are you anxious? And then if you go to verse 6, he doesn't ask a question. He just admits it. My soul is cast down within me. I'm dejected. What does that look like? And for those of you who have heard me preach for a very long time, have heard me use verse 7 wrong. And I'm confessing it that I've ripped it out of context and given it a different meaning. Let's put it in context to understand it. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. So whoever this psalmist is, some people think it's David, and I'm fine if you think it's David. It's unnamed. This psalmist is exiled up into the mountains of Israel, up in the northern part of Israel, where the headwaters of the Jordan River are. It's where Mount Hermon is. It's the tallest mountain in Israel. It's usually snow-capped in the Middle East every day of the year. The little mountain beside it, or the next peak beside it, is Mount Mizar. So whoever this is has fled up here for some obvious reason, which we're not clear on. They're hiding. So as they're up there, these cascading waters coming out from the headwaters of the Jordan form waterfalls. He's saying, he's using an illustration here, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Now, how I've interpreted that before is to say God's calling me to a deeper relationship. That's not what it means. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So when I put it in the context of the entire psalm, here's what the psalmist is saying. I'll quote Steve Lawson. Like a stranded sailor clinging to a piece of driftwood in a raging storm, he was tossed back and forth, taking on water, sinking fast in no hope of refuge. Here's what he's saying. I'm about to go under. One more wave, one more wave, and I'm done. Now, I don't want you to miss this before I move on. Who does he assign the waves to? The Lord. All your waves and your breakers have swept over me. Now, now you've got to be very careful with what I'm saying right here. If you hear me wrong, you're off on a tangent that you cannot go with this psalm. I am not saying 
that God is punishing the psalmist. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, God, you're sovereign over this. You're sovereign over what's happening to me. And I'm telling you, I'm about to go under. I'm about done. So dejection. The next thing you see is discontentment. Again, people quote this passage out of context. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God. There's a comma, not a period. For the living God. Then there's a period followed by a question. When shall I come and appear before God? So we've got to go back to the deer and see what's happening here. The deer is being pursued either by a hunter or by a predator. The, the deer has run to the point that the deer is ready to collapse. If the deer does not drink water, it's done. And he's saying, I'm like a deer. My soul is panting for you, for the living God. But I can't find you. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, this is a holy discontentment. This is the psalmist describing these dark seasons spiritually that sometimes we go through where we think, where is God? Where is he? Has he forgotten me? Now, this is compounded when the people around you start saying, where is your God? And he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And I'm saying, I long for you, living God. Here's what I remember, that I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude of keeping festival. In other words, I, I, I don't feel that now. now. The psalmist is not denying God's omnipresence. What he is saying is he's longing for this knowledge, the felt presence of God. Now, this extreme longing is intensified because of the hostile environment created by men surrounding him, who, who all day long are saying, where is your God? In Psalm 43, it says, vindicate me, O God, defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. True statement, question, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? So this cry for vindication is from the unjust treatment of enemies. God, stop this. Now, most of us are not experiencing this kind of physical rejection and pursuit by enemies. But all of us are experiencing spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul said in Ephesians 6. In 1 Peter 5, Peter said... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I don't think we're aware enough that we're in a constant battle. Constant battle is going on. And listen to me, that battle affects us. We need to be aware of it. Now, here's the problem. We don't live in a world with a holy discontentment. We live in a world with an unholy discontentment. 
So I've got to leave Psalm 42 and 43 to describe some other sources of spiritual depression that you are battling in this room today. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now in the first century, when Jesus wrote this to his original audience, they were worried about their next meal. Now there's some of you in this room who may be, and let me just say to you, we as a church work to provide together to make sure that you have your next meal and that you have clothes for you and your family. All you got to do is ask. We can't help what we don't know. In other words, God's provided through his people here. But that's not what the problem is with the vast majority of us in this room. It's not the majority problem in, in the people in this country. And I'll just say this. Even the poor people in America have way more than the poor in the rest of the world. But think about us. We live in the most anxious age ever. People are, You know what the number one drug preachers take? Guess? Anxiety medication. They put this out a couple years ago. We've all decided that the way we're going to cope is get some medicine, deal with this anxiety. What we need to do, brothers and sisters, is ask the question, where's the anxiety coming from? What's the source? So, Tomorrow morning I'll watch as the PCO people show up and they unload bags and bags and bags of clothes that people have dropped off here. You know why they're going to unload bags and bags and bags of clothes that you and other people in this community dropped off? Is because this weekend we all went and bought bags and bags and bags of more clothes. Because we've told ourselves what we have is not sufficient. It's out of style. We need more. We now call ourselves foodies foodies like would anybody in the first century called themselves a foodie you're just thinking man i hope we eat tonight we are consumed with anxiety when it comes to the everyday things of life and we've turned them into something they're not you say well that's not my problem okay good how about hebrews 13 hebrews 13 Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That is a strong statement you better wake up to. Keep your life free from the love of what? Money. And be content with what you have. For... He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, I'm enough for you. Be content with what you have. Now, this illustration's already got me in trouble, but I'm going to use it again. And if you are an older man married to a much younger woman, I'm not necessarily talking to you. But let's use the illustration anyway. So, men, you can answer this. When an old bald-headed, fat, wrinkled man with a belly, marries a young, fit, good-looking wife, what does he call her with his friends? A trophy wife. 
Now, women, you all have the permission to punch the closest man next to you. Now, what do they call him? Sugar daddy. Because here's what's playing out, see? The old wrinkled fat man became discontent with his wife, so he traded her in for a trophy. Why would this young, good-looking woman marry this man? Because he's the sugar daddy. and He's going to give what she wants. Both of them got here through discontentment. Discontentment is driving many of your lives in this room. And I want you to hear me on this. Discontentment leads to the next thing, and that's bondage. Bondage. So what do you mean, preacher? This is for the believer I'm primarily talking to. If you're a non-believer, you're already in bondage. Christ has come to set you free. He gave his life on the cross for you. He rose again from the grave to justify you. But, but we start thinking that's not enough, and we start entering in this discontent phase, so we look for a functional Savior. A functional Savior is something that makes us feel better. And a functional Savior can be sexual sin. A functional Savior is debt. Some of you are drowning in debt because you thought what you wanted when you borrowed that money was going to get you what you wanted. Now you're drowning in it and you're in bondage. And then there's addiction. In this room right now are opioid addicts. I don't know of an individual. I just know you're here statistically in this county. You're sitting in this room right now. It has no respecter of age. It has no respecter of income. It has no respecter of job. And it has no respecter of religion. It's everywhere. Now, this is the truth about an opioid. An opioid does nothing but for your pain but mask it. That's it. It, 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 it hits a receptor in your brain to tell your brain you're not really hurting. You are actually hurting. The theory behind the opioid is once the body heals wherever that pain is, then you stop taking it, then the pain's gone. The opioid didn't take the pain. But here is the double-edged sword of the opioid. And everybody in this room better listen. The opioid will take away and mask another pain. It'll mask the pain right here. This is why people are addicted. They take them and realize, oh, I feel better. I don't feel so depressed. I don't feel so down. Now, let me explain to you what bondage does to the believer. Bondage will make you go further than you ever wanted to go. It will make you stay longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will ultimately make you pay a price higher than you ever intended to pay. So 
remember 10 years ago sitting beside a lake with one of the most successful men in this congregation who lost everything because of opioids. Everything. Here's what he said to me. If I'd have known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have taken the first pill. Now, for those of you that are trapped in bondage, here's why you're depressed. You ready? Because Psalm 53, verse 1 says this. For my transgression and my sin is ever before me. So how do you get that off your mind? You go back to the bondage. The sexual sin. You buy something else. You take a drug. You drink. And the bondage gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Here's what you need to say with, with Paul in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the law of sin and death? Next verse. Thanks be unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a way out, and it is through Christ. Now, the last evidence of spiritual depression often accompanies the first three Most of the time, these three things are connected, not always. But this one usually accompanies all three, and that is the lack of joy. In Psalm 51, David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Here's how I hear most people say this verse. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That is not what it says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This is what God has done. This is what God has given The lack of joy in our lives when we have given into bondage is what I call consequential spiritual depression. The spiritual depression is a consequence of your sin, and it is not going to lift until you're set free. You'll just go deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, I left Psalm 42 for a long time. I'm going back. Psalm 42 is not, about, is not about consequential spiritual depression. Psalm 42 is about circumstantial spiritual depression. Something bad has happened in the psalmist's life. Now, there are two kinds of people, according to James 1, in this room. Those of you that are having trouble and those of you that are going to. You better be ready for this. If you're not there, you better be ready for this. When circumstances of life hit you and knock you down to where you're sitting in a hospital room waiting on your wife thinking, what? How did I get here? Is this really happening? God, where are you? What is the cause of spiritual depression in my own heart at that moment? What is going on in me? What is going on in you? Here's the core issue. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. Now, how do we get to unbelief? Four things. Four things. Unbelief results from forgetting the Lord. Psalm 42, 6 says, I remember you. From a cast down soul to remembering. So the spiritual depression 
caused him to remember. When he came to the point to understand his soul was cast down, he said, here's what I need to do. I need to remember you. Now, here's how you get to the point of forgetting, brothers and sisters in this room. Something bad happens in your life and you stop being with God's people. Here's the number one thing I've heard people say. A spouse dies and people stop coming to church. You say, why are you not coming? Well, I'm not coming because when I'm here, it reminds me of my spouse. Listen to me. What's happening at your house? You're constantly reminded they're gone. Here's what you need to do. You need to come here with God's people and work through the sadness that your spouse is not sitting here with you. And you need to hear God's people say, trust the Lord. Don't sit in the silence of your home and forget him. You need God's people. And listen, for one of us as a spouse, if you're married, one of us is going to come in here and sit down by themselves one day. What's another reason? Or a thing we do, we stop reading the Bible. You stop reading the Bible, you're headed toward unbelief and you're headed there rapidly. Here's why. Because there's so much unbelief being said to you every day in this culture. You don't live in a Christian culture anymore. You are bombarded constantly with false messages and you believe them. Unbelief results from focusing on our circumstances. In verse nine, he says, even, excuse me, wrong verse. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Verse two of chapter 43, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Here's what's happened. Things are so bad that you begin to question Does God care for me? And because you keep hearing this message around you in the culture, there is no God, you even begin to ask the question, is there really a God? I'm going to say something that I am afraid will scare some of you, but you need to hear me say it. I have battled tremendous doubt. Tremendous. And for those of you that do, for those of you that do, and those of you that have, do you hear David here? I kept feeling tremendous shame because these questions would fly into my mind. And then I began to read the Psalms. Why have you rejected me? It doesn't mean that's an okay question. It just means you need to ask the question. Because when you ask the question, that's when the answer comes. That's, that's, that's when it comes flowing to you. Now, here's one of the reasons you're asking the question. Because unbelief also results from listening to others who around you have already said this. who are saying, where is your God? How, how can a good God let that happen to you? You know there's not a God. So here's what you need to do. Everybody get ready. I'm going to give you the message here. Here's the message of the age. You better take charge of your life and do whatever you need to be happy. Because listen, you deserve to be happy. Forget the fact that you're destroying everybody around you. 
Now, I just want everybody to hear me. If we all embrace, I need to do what makes me happy, we're going to destroy each other. One of the reasons there's so much human pain in relationships is because everybody in the relationship is asking the question, how can I be happy? Here's what Christianity teaches you. It teaches you to submit, therefore, to one another and ask the question to your wife, how can I move to help her? How can I move toward my kids? I didn't have kids to make me happy. Those of you who think you're about to have kids to make you happy, whoa. They'll make you happy while they're down here and little and cute. Nobody will crush you deeper than your children. I love my kids. Nobody will crush you deeper than your kids. You need to be ready for this, parents. It's coming. Last thing, unbelief results from listening to ourselves. You see, the psalmist is talking to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Then he talks to himself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Here's what he'd obviously been listening to himself say before. You can't trust God. You're never going to praise God again. God's not going to deliver you. God's not personal to you. God's forgotten you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about me. So here's my question to you as I bring this sermon to a conclusion. Am I listening to myself or am I preaching the gospel to myself? This is a book that came into my hands about 20 years ago. It's called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a little bit hard to find. I found a few copies. People begged me for them already today and I've already let them have them. If you use a Kindle, it is the cheapest and easiest way to get Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression. This book has proved very helpful. I will never, ever forget reading the first chapter, ever. <laughs> By this point, I was, I was with the message, and I'm, I'm reading out loud to myself, so I'm going to read to myself and you. You ready? You gotta take yourself in hand, you gotta address yourself, you gotta preach to yourself, you gotta question yourself, you gotta say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business do you have with being in turmoil? You gotta turn on yourself. You gotta correct yourself, you gotta exhort yourself, you gotta say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way, and then you must go on to remind yourself not how special you are. That's the answer of the age. Here's what you gotta do you got to remind yourself who God is. you got to remind yourself who God is and, and what God has done and what God has promised to do. Then when you've done that, you defy yourself. And this is what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself. you got to defy other people. you got to defy the devil, the whole world, and you got to say with the psalmist, I will yet praise him. The essence of the matter is to understand that this self of ours, this other man within us, has got to be handled. Don't listen to him. (laughs) 
People have said this, the devil made you do it. I just want you to hear me clearly say this. The devil cannot make you do anything. The devil can tempt you. He cannot make you do anything. You did it. And here's what you got to get aware of. You know, I'm not trying to make you be schizophrenic. That's not the, the thing. you got to understand that there's a part of you that you got to get in control. You got to speak to him, you got to correct him, you got to exhort him, you also have to encourage him. You got to remind him of who God is, and you cannot continue to allow him to drag you down and to depress you. And I want you to turn with me to Lamentations. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Mark Brogop in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, describes how he was at a Christian conference center where he was teaching. And he was about to go in the room and there was a picture of this beautiful mountain scene. Imagine Smoky Mountains log cabin, pretty stream, green. And underneath it was Lamentations 3, 22 to 24. <laughs> All right, let me tell you the picture that ought to be above framed Lamentations 3, 24. It should be Syria. Because Jerusalem was completely destroyed, flattened. And God's people had been taken into exile. That's the scene. And when you read around Lamentations, it sounds like Psalm 42. And here, in, 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 in the midst of it, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So I say with Rogop, and who says his book, there are many nights, too many for me to count, that I collapse into my bed, and the last thing that I say is something like this, God, this was a hard day. But your grace was sufficient. Now I'm going to go to sleep because I'm a frail human being, and you're God. And you're not going to sleep. And tomorrow when I wake up, your mercy's going to be new. And tomorrow might be harder, God, but you're going to give me what I need for tomorrow. Why? Because your steadfast love endures forever. That is a promise that God has made about himself and to us. Now, whoever you are in this room, if you are sitting here going, well, this is a, a fine message, but you don't know me. I've gone too far. I, I, I'm over the edge. There's no hope for me. You hear me. Israel had so turned their back on God that he destroyed them. And he put them in exile. But here's what he said to them. A bruised reed. I will not break. And a faintly burning wick I will not put out. It may just be that God has let you get to the end of yourself so that you can now turn and see he is God. Turn to him today. He will not puff you out. Let's pray.
Our Father, we, we bow before you and we confess, oh God, we confess our sin, we confess our guilt, we confess our prayerlessness, we confess that we have uttered words and song, even some of us today when our heart was not engaged. We confess that the best things we've ever done for you are nothing but filthy rags in your sight and apart from Jesus Christ, apart from his righteousness applied to us, we are hopeless and we are helpless. Our unrighteousness calls for rejection, but through Christ you have given us acceptance. By your stripes we have been healed by you because you have been bruised for our iniquities. You have been become sin for us that we might be made righteous in you. We still struggle with sin, oh God. Manifold. Bury them in the ocean of your concealing blood, we pray. We confess that we are guilty but pardoned, lost but saved, wandering but found, sinning but cleansed. That is not an excuse, oh God. What we, play, we pray is that that will give us a sense of perpetual brokenheartedness. We would humbly, honestly come before you. and Thank you that it is by your grace that you receive us, you restore us, and you make us right with you for your sake to glorify you. Now, may your people rise and proclaim to one another the goodness of God and the glories of the gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.